Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast. Great conversations now, and now it's time to turn to the ETF rush and the ever-present regulatory risk, and what is in store for the future and what is in store currently as we stand. Todd Gorgon from Ropa Asset Management Funds joins Anthony Scaramucci, CEO of Skybridge Capital. Todd? I'm waiting to get in here. I think you are. I think you're in, from what I can tell. Okay. I can hear you. Okay, so that is so the host. You look, and you're looking good, and I can see oh, the back you. of your head as well, so that's even better. So most importantly, hi, everybody. This is Todd Gergen. Um, I have the privilege of uh, proposing some questions to Anthony Scaramucci, who has been a an incredible uh, crypto advocate and someone who's actually been driving a lot of the work that he did actually laid the foundation for the current ETF that is happening with the pro shares. And so I have the privilege of talking to Anthony right now about doing what he's been doing in the space, how he looks at the future, um, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to let him just start by giving a brief overview of how he's looking at the market right now. And then I will ask him some specific questions. All right. Well, first of all, thank you. And I appreciate everybody joining and you're giving me a little bit too much credit. I uh, I think we were application seven for an ETF. Uh, uh, we weren't quite the first mover. Uh, but I think more importantly, about a year ago at this time, uh, after doing extensive research in the realm of cryptocurrencies, uh, Bitcoin specifically, the blockchain generally, and Ethereum, uh, Skybridge, which has been a traditional institutional and individual investor, uh, sort of see myself as a self-proclaimed institutionalist. Uh, so not quite Charlie Munger that would think uh, something like Bitcoin would be the worst thing that ever happened to the civilization. I mean, my God, I mean, there's so many things that have happened, but Charlie thinks this is the worst thing. Or Warren Buffett saying that this is rat poison squared. Uh, I'm just bringing these people up because these are the people that I deal with uh, as an institutional investor. Uh, people in our industry, the blockchain industry, know the word FUD or the acronym. It stands for fear, uncertainty and doubt. But what about the fuddy duddies? What about all of these older men and women in the industry that have decided that they don't want to do the homework on decentralized finance or understand the elements, the mathematical purity of something like Bitcoin or the blockchain, uh, and they're trying to relegate it the way uh, some of the real old-fashioned people were saying that the horseless carriage was just a fad and they were going to stick with their horse and buggy. So uh, back a year ago, I had a checklist in front of me, Todd, and I basically said if Bitcoin got to 100 million wallets, if I felt comfortable storing hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin, uh, and I was comfortable that there would be a regulatory rubric inside the United States that would be open to the notion of accepting Bitcoin either as an intangible asset, which it is now for the IRS, or long term as a transactionable currency. Uh, those three factors, uh, they seem fairly benign to positive for me. Uh, we pulled the trigger on several hundred million dollars of Bitcoin uh, which thankfully uh, was good timing, better to be lucky than smart. We have over a billion dollars in Bitcoin today. Uh, and of course, we filed for some of these ETFs. So 
Can I just spend one minute on the regulation and then I'll take another question? Is that cool? Please, please do. That's, okay, that's so, actually what we're trying to make sure we so, so I want to I want to just address this for people from a legal point of view. I saw some of the uh, friends of mine, uh, legal beagles that were on the last panel. Um, you know, I went to uh, law school back in the late 80s. I went to Harvard Law School. I'm not one of these guys that says, oh, I went to school in Boston. I'll just tell you that I went to Harvard Law School. Although I will tell you, my blue collar mom thought it was Hartford Law School, which is still an inside joke inside the family. She was like, why would they name it Hartford Law School if it's not in Hartford? But in any event, I learned three things in law school. So the first thing I learned was don't be a lawyer. I mean, that was a pretty obvious thing. I learned that in my first year. The second thing I learned was to avoid lawsuits because they are cataclysmic. You never, you may think you're right, but you're going 50-50 with the jury. But the third thing I learned, which is important for this conversation, is about property rights. And ultimately, whether you like the United States or dislike the United States, there's been one thing that has been a constant, a North Star in the United States, and that is property rights. You can go back to British common law, which dates back almost a thousand years now, or U.S. law, uh, let's call that 245 years, property held in the United States is deemed sacrosanct. Uh, this is one of the major reasons why institutional investors from around the world, individual investors from around the world feel comfortable buying property, stocks, bonds, other things, putting and intellectual- the, yeah, and, the, yeah. and the U.S. dollar. Yeah, exactly. Putting intellectual assets into the country. And, you know, if you get that and you understand that, then you know that Bitcoin is a representative of property, a result of which it would be almost impossible, uh, dare I say impossible, uh, given the political climate that we're in, I guess anything is possible. But after looking at this uh, legal precedent, uh, I would say that it's virtually impossible for somebody to abrogate your Bitcoin or to take it away from you. I think there would be a huge challenge in the court system. Uh, and I think that's important. It's important to put that down as a marker uh, when discussing the regulatory rubric around Bitcoin. Uh, they may not like it. They may opine against it. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, obviously, she's uninformed, so she's really opining against it. But by and large, the people in Washington recognize that if they want the United States to say the center of the financial world, the capital market center of the globe, they're going to have to accept Bitcoin and other elements of decentralized finance. And so with that, it's anybody's guess when the cash ETF comes, uh, but I'm very happy and it's a good indication this past month that the SEC allowed for the Bitcoin futures ETF. Okay, so a couple of different things that I want to cover with you. Um, one is, okay, so there is now a Bitcoin future ETF when is there going to be a spot Bitcoin ETF? And when is there going to be something other than a Bitcoin ETF? You know, you and I were talking before we got on the, before we were published right. right now, is that about, it would be so much more interesting to see a basket of cryptocurrencies as an ETF. So please give me your thoughts on that. I think, I think you, you've been spending a lot of time well, on it. Well, here, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, I, these are little sticky problems because I have an application filed. And so I've got to be careful about what I say because we're in a little bit of a quiet period. So I'm going to talk generically about the regulation. I think people will get where I'm going. Um, Gary 
Gensler and his team, they have a tough spot because if you really understand the metrics uh, that they're evaluated for the ETF, uh, pricing manipulation and making sure that there's clarity of pricing is super important. So, for example, you don't see any micro capitalized stocks in the form of an ETF because they're afraid of people being able to run those stocks up or run those stocks down. Uh, In the case of Bitcoin, uh, there's really no regulatory rubric around Bitcoin itself right now. However, because Bitcoin futures have been invented, uh, those futures are, in fact, regulated by the CFTC, which is a uh, organization, a commission that Gary knows, Gary Gensler knows a lot about, having been the chair of it uh, under the Barack Obama administration. So I think that is really good news for us um, because I think it represents um, a start. And I think if they can get clarity around pricing and the variabilities of pricing and some surety that those prices can't be manipulated, I think they'd be ready to do that. Um, I'm old enough to remember the whole thalidomide situation, Todd, you're probably not, uh, but there was a uh, morning sickness drug in the 1950s that was approved for women to take in Europe. And the FDA said, whoa, we're going to do more evaluation and more research on it. And unfortunately, the morning sickness drug was effective at combating the nausea, but it caused uh, birth deformities. And the FDA at that time was lauded for delaying the drug. It never got fully approved and it was eventually banned in in Europe. Uh, The reason I bring this up is that is roughly the mindset that transfers over into the securities business as well as the health and safety aspect business. Someone could then push back, well, what about the vaccines? I think the vaccines were, were pushed through as a, an emergency contingency. They've now proven to be quite efficacious and they eventually got their non-emergency approval. But, but we're a slow-moving regulatory beast here in the United States. Uh, but I think those things are happening. I think there's a lot of good news coming. I mean, so Anthony is a Mets fan. I am a Yankees fan. Sorry. So I'm not that old. But I think we're both I think we're both Braves fans last night though. Absolutely. Unless you were from Houston and anybody unless you're from Houston, you were probably rooting against that team last night. So uh the the so I, uh, you know So okay, so uh, just for all transparency, I'm an investor in Anthony's uh, funds, um, and I think that his new product is actually really interesting for someone who is not a um, doesn't want to be that adventurous, adventuresome in, in, in foreign, you know, investing directly in a cryptocurrency. So take ten, whatever, three or four minutes and talk about your 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 ETF that you guys launched at Skybridge, which is basically an equity. Uh, a bunch of equities that are crypto enabled. Is that is that the right way to say it, Anthony? Yeah, I think I think we you know again we're institutionalists. We set up a Bitcoin fund in cooperation with First Trust. We set up a, a Ethereum fund, and then across our portfolio, we had uh, initial starting of about four and a half percent in Bitcoin. Due to appreciation, it's grown to about eighteen percent. And so, if you add up all of those. Our, our total holdings of Bitcoin are just over a billion dollars, just just o- over, you know, it's just under one point one billion uh, at current market prices. But we wanted to create a product where 
some of the more old-fashioned people could get involved. We're calling it sort of the picks and shovels product, if you will. Uh, companies that are laying the infrastructure and architecture of the world of decentralized finance. Companies that are geared towards doing well, if Bitcoin, frankly, is doing well. And it's called the First Trust Skybridge Digital Innovation and Cryptocurrency Portfolio. Um, it doesn't have any crypto in it per se, but we do have a very large Wait, position. Give an example of like Square or yeah, we have a large position in Square. We have our two largest positions are Coinbase and MicroStrategy. MicroStrategy being a holding company for Bitcoin. We have a reasonable sized position in Marathon Digital Assets, the mining company, BitFarms, Voyager. Uh, again, you mentioned Square. We have a position there. But we also have a position in PayPal. And it's so a what blend. What percentage right now of Square's revenue that is coming in through cryptocurrency? Yeah, it's small. You know, I don't have it off the top of my head. I'm going to say it's about eight percent. I mean, I could look it up on Google, but it's small. It's, but it's, but it's something I, like eight percent, but it's growing every single yeah. day. Yeah, but I think and I remember talking to Michael Dell is, about you know what the percentage of, of Dell computers that were sold. Mm-hmm. You're using cryptocurrency, and it was it is a surprisingly large number. I don't know if you've talked to him. Wait, I know you guys are friends, but it's over ten percent of all Dell sales are in crypto. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, he he brought that up actually in his recent book. I I would say to you, the Square is very fascinating to me because they are the Netflix of crypto. So just hear me out for a second. They start out as a credit card processing company. They're optimizing small businesses. They're trying to offer them a lower price than say. First Data or some of the big behemoths, and they then recognize that they need to move into wallet creation and wallet procurement in the cryptocurrency realm, and specifically for Bitcoin, but eventually for others. And that's sort of a lot like Netflix, starting with the DVD, gravitating to streaming, and now getting into production. And I admire these guys a great deal. I think Jack Dorsey said that... uh, uh, he's going to dedicate a large portion of his life, the back end of his life, to Bitcoin and the evolution of Bitcoin. And frankly, you either see it or you don't see it. I think people that are listening to us right now, Todd, probably do see it or they're on the cusp of seeing it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be at the L.A. Blockchain Summit. But what what is it that we see? We see a massive, massive delayering mechanism for our society. And we see a, a virtually costless ability to transact with each other peer to peer. Uh, and I just want everybody to think about that. You take out the middleman on just about everything or the middle woman on just about everything. It's massive savings, massive efficiencies. To quote Mark Andreessen, it's even bigger than the Netscape browser that he invented 95 years ago. Um, I want to tell this story quickly, if you don't mind. This is, because uh, I, I said this at lunch today to a group of skeptics that I'm trying to onboard into our ETF the CRPT ETF. I said, you know, in 1985, as I'm really dating myself now, I'm going to be 58 in January. In 1985, I was waiting in a post office in Rome and I had to call my mom. You know, uh, Wednesdays was Prince Spaghetti Day. And so, you know, that's when they, you know, my mother, I had to get the phone call into her to let her know I wasn't smoking pot and I didn't have venereal disease and all the other lies that we tell our parents. And so there I was in the post office buying five minutes of time, $3 an hour, $15. I had to convert it into lira. 
And then they told me to go wait for a phone booth. When I got in the phone booth, the AT&T operator came on and I told my mother all those lies, told her I loved her. The beeping started and then the call ended. And it was a $15 call for five minutes. I've got this phone in front of me right here, this miracle that's eating the world. Uh, and you can go to that same cafe area or that same post office in Rome, find the Wi-Fi, make the same call, call forever if you want to, and it's costless. And I think that's going to happen to finance. That's going to happen to the financial services industry. Now, there's a group of people in the industry that don't like that. Um, obviously, MasterCard and Visa and American Express, they don't like the fact that that 3% number that's held dear for them for the last 60 years is under threat as a result of the blockchain. But that stuff is coming, Todd. And so you can either pretend it isn't coming and you can, you know, get all cranky about it and sound old, or you can embrace it and own a piece of this stuff in your portfolio. I mean, you got, of course, you and I are 100% on the same side of the of the bet here. I mean, we're, we're both crypto advocates and we're both very long crypto. <laughs> you know, so that's 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 all going to happen. But, you know, but talking about re regulation for a second, Anthony, um, I know you've talked to Gary against a, a fair amount and and they didn't actually approve the ProShares ETF. They just didn't disprove it. So um, from your perspective, how are we gonna, how are we going to look at the future and how 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 is the SEC going to look at these, especially like a spot price Bitcoin or a spot price Ethereum uh, product? Yeah. yeah. So I want to be clear. Um, you know, I haven't talked to Gary, and primarily because I'm in this quiet period, and it, you know, you have to be very very careful. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you in. A yeah, no, that 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 that's okay. No, I just want to make sure that I'm clear, so that at least I'm representing it fairly to our viewers and listeners. But here's, here's what I would say. Um, when you say they didn't approve it, they have a chance to block, they have a chance to delay it, which they delayed it. It was seemed interminably. And then they have a chance to either approve it or let it go through. And so, you know, or disapprove it, I should say, or let it go through. And so they let it go through. And so that is a major step. I mean, let's just shine a light on that for a second. There's a reason why Bitcoin went from $40,000 into the low 60s while that process was happening. Why people said, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. This is OK, because, Todd, I am dealing with this demography. I'm dealing with the 60 to 250 year old person, you know, the person that's still talking to George and Martha Washington. And. They don't like it. OK, but now they have an opportunity to buy it. OK, think of the vaccines for a second. Uh, there's a lot of people said, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to take the vaccine until the FDA approves it and it's in the marketplace. And then the FDA approves it and they've lost that excuse. But now they've got this opening. It's sort of just like that. The the acceptance of that ETF was monumental. I don't want to understate that. It gives a license totally now to institutions around the world. Wait, wait, whoa. The financial services center of the world uh, and Washington, still the most powerful capital of the world, has decided that they're not going to cede the next century of finance 
to another player. The United States wants to be involved in the intellectual property, the assets, the infrastructure, the laying of all the cables and art architecture to make all of that happen. So what's going yeah, to co- cost the cash? The cash is going to be about price discovery. If you can convince the SEC that you can have free and fair trading without any manipulation whatsoever, I think you end up in a situation where you get the ETF approved. Uh, right. And I think it, that's coming. I think liquid. The, it's incredibly liquid. I mean, you no, I understand that. I mean, that. I think there's still a fear that there's whales out there that can move the price or can, you know, take prices directionally. I'm not saying that's fair. I'm saying that I think that's a concern. And because these are not clearing on an exchange, right? You know, stocks clear on an exchange. So therefore, the exchange, the orders are coming in, the sell orders and the buy orders, and they're meeting on the exchange. So it's very, very easy to track that data. Bitcoin is way more amorphous. Um, You can track the futures data because it's regulated by the CFTC. But you can't track Bitcoin's data right now. Uh, But I think there will come a day where you will be able to track enough of its data. Remember, there's also a proportion test. You remember that from your statistics class in, in undergraduate school. You know, you can if you can end up tracking enough of the data where the regulators feel comfortable with it, I think they'll let it go through. I'll say one thing for sure, and I'm going to flip another question to you. There, if you, if you, if anyone, everybody on this kind of Zoom, you know, call has all set up a wallet. It is much more difficult, time-consuming, and know your customer much more burdensome than setting up a stock account so i think that like, I, I think that the cryptocurrencies what you would call gemini backed any you know you know binance coinbase any of these guys it is it is so much um more of a tight process that it is setting something with you know goldman sachs your old firm it's a, it, it is much more difficult and the fact that people still believe that cryptocurrencies are something that is going to be hacked or something that's to be stolen. And so you bunch of black market stuff is something that we, we, we all, everybody that's listening here is, is, is on the same page. And it is something that we, we, we're going to have to continue to fight. And, and I think the ETFs are a really good step forward on that. And yeah, no question. Well, I mean, I mean, the other thing I would say, I would encourage everybody to read Mike Morell's white paper. Um, it dispels a lot of the notions, a lot of the myths out there related to black market activity and money laundering. It also explains why, after 13 years, the Bitcoin network has never been hacked, why, why the blockchain has proven, despite a 12 and a half year assault on the blockchain, to not be hackable. And, and I think you'll also, he also explains why something like the Colonial Pipeline transaction, something that... Uh, 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 I think shocked people, and there's a lot of misinformation about uh, the FBI was able to get back 2.3 billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. They didn't hack the blockchain. They were able to figure out who the players were that were instigating the ransomware. Uh, they got into their servers and got into their emails. At which point, they were able to get their passcodes off of their emails, uh, but they never hacked the blockchain. And I think if you if you follow what's going on, I think the authorities are getting more comfortable, not less comfortable, Todd, 
with Bitcoin because you can see the wallets. You know, you can identify the transparency is so much stronger can, than any stock yes, portfolio. Yes, mean 100 100. Not even close. But here's the thing: you mentioned a stock portfolio. It may be easier to open the account, and I accept that because. Um, you know, there's a lot of safety protocols in place now, places like Coinbase and other places. But and it may be easier to open a stock account. But to trade a stock, if I'm going to buy stock that you own, it has to go through seven different entities, including the Depository Trust Corporation, before it goes from one account to the other. Imagine over the blockchain, we could do a peer-to-peer transaction and we could trade stocks with each other, and we could de-layer all of that and all of the costs associated with that. You know, let me take it to a real visceral level. Um, I use RightGuard, okay? And if you're interested, I use CoolWave <laughs> RightGuard, and I, I use, yeah, and I, and I, have, uh, I have a tremendous volume of it at the house. Where do I buy my RightGuard? I actually buy my RightGuard from Amazon. Why? Amazon is a third-party trusted vendor. I'm confident that I'm going to get real right guard, which is being produced by Procter and Gamble and sent to Amazon. Uh, and I pay Amazon a fee and, and they obviously take something from Procter and Gamble or they mark it up to send it to me. But just imagine now, and, and there's all costs associated with that, but just imagine over the blockchain, uh, the transactions are costless and I buy my deodorant directly from Procter and Gamble. And just imagine that fulfillment happens because over the blockchain, even though they don't know who I am, because we're operating on the blockchain, they totally trust me. This is a software mechanism that's designed to allow two parties that may or may not necessarily trust each other to transact with each other as if they're trusted best friends and best buddies. And so all of a sudden, this big third party known as Amazon has been taken out of the equation. I can deal directly with Procter & Gamble. Well, you're not buying in bulk, Anthony. Well, that's true. But why do they care? Because these transactions now are costless over the Internet, the same way I can make that Wi-Fi call from Rome to my mom 35 years after the $15 call. So so this, this stuff is so revolutionary and it is so important to explain it to people in a way that they can understand it so that you can force their curiosity. You can light a fire of their intellectual curiosity so they get started on learning about it and then learning about the potentiality of all the different applications. I mean, Anthony, I was, I mean, I would just, my personal experience, you know, I, my, my father is in his 80s and, you know, explaining to him about blockchain and cryptocurrency is the most important thing that I can do because if I can explain it to him and he can understand it and he can support it, then I can explain it to someone who's 25. And I think that, so it, it, you totally that, right. I mean, I totally, I totally agree with you, you know? So think about, okay. So maybe we talk for a second about like centralized versus decentralized blockchain uh, protocols. Um, I mean, do you have any thoughts about that and how that will be regulated and how we can kind of, uh, you know, kind of promote publicly traded ETFs kind of thing on that perspective? Yeah. 
Well, listen, I mean, I think I think the first thing, the big ones are going to have to go first. So Bitcoins and Ethereum are going to have to go first. I think that the uh, you talk about centralized versus decentralized. The you know, there's some layer one protocols that are solving for the trilemma. You know, so something like Algorand, you know, you've heard me speak about it. Obviously, I spoke a lot about it at the SALT conference. Yep. I have met with Silvio McCallie, yep. the inventor, the Turing Award winner from MIT, the MIT uh, mathematician and computer programmer. Uh, Algorand, to me, is a, got a, is a very special technical property. It's solving for decentralization. It has a negative carbon footprint. It's Sharia compliant. It's transactions per second are at the high end of the layer ones. Uh, and it's unbreakable. Silvio once said to me, well, I said, well, how hackable is Algorand? He said, well, I want you to imagine every second that has been created since the beginning, the Big Bang, over that 15 billion years, every second. Okay. And then it's probably more than that to one. That's uh, the likelihood of it being hacked. And so to, to me, I think that those are really good uh uh, I think they're good future profiles and they're good future footprints for a lot of digital applications. Could they end up as ETFs? Could they end up as, uh, you know, could they end up in people's funds? I believe, I believe that they will be. Um, I'm concerned about the centralization. There's some coins that are overly centralized, uh, which could augur for inflation or some levels of manipulation. And so I am concerned about those, but not things like Algorand or Bitcoin. Right, but going on one of the things, I mean, you know, I'm an investor, uh, an angel investor in Casper, and you know, it's one one millionth of the energy that Bitcoin mm-hmm. uses, right? Mm-hmm. So Ethereum is one one thousandth of Bitcoin, and Casper is mm-hmm. one one thousandth of Ethereum. And so, how do you think about looking at like kind of like a a smart contract wrapper uh, on something like a green Bitcoin or like a green? carbon credit or anything like that. How do you look at that as like a, maybe you could do an ETF on that. Maybe we could do. Yeah. Well, let, that. well let, let's talk about Casper for a second. As I was, I was, I was, I was with your, one of your partners in um, yeah. Abu Dhabi last week talking about Casper. And I think for Casper is got amazing technical properties. What Casper needs more of uh, is a robust community and a robust expansion of that community. Now, Anatoly and the guys at Solana were very successful with that. Uh, they got some sponsorship from FTX and Serum, the sort of the exchange related to Solana. And that led to this sort of explosion of their community. If Casper can get that, you know, Algorand's community is growing, albeit slower right now than Solana. But as people discover Al- Algorand, it could hockey stick past all these things. You know, Casper has that potentiality. Uh, but its rate limiting step is, in my mind, is the community. We gotta, you gotta get more people doing more homework on Casper. Um, could yeah, there like, be? Thank you for saying that. It's, it's also, obviously, I'm, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of, of Casper. It was my one choice in, you know, kind of, you know, private. No, uh, I looked at it. I looked at it pretty carefully after uh, your partner from uh, Abu Dhabi uh, had raised it with me. And listen, you know. I'm I'm not a Bitcoin evangelist. And people get mad at me that are purists in Bitcoin. I don't think Jesus and Moses had a baby and then they named the baby Bitcoin. That's not me. Okay. I'm a Bitcoin investor. 
Um, I see the value of Bitcoin. I see it as digital property. I see it as something that uh, uh, you'll be remiss years from now if you didn't make a decision to own some of it uh, because you're going to end up, there's going to be plenty of use cases for it. And as we continue to corrupt fiat currency, I think it will be an anchor for a lot of investors uh, for many decades to come. And so a result of which I want people to be invested. Now, I'm not telling them to be 100 percent, put 100 percent of your money in Bitcoin and like that. I'm a rationalist and I'm building a portfolio for people. So is this a one, three or five percent exposure for people? Yes. But let me tell you something, Todd. I put a five percent position on or four and a half percent position. It grew, grew to 18 percent. Now you have this. Intellectual... You know exactly. I'm in the same boat. Like yeah. You. So now you have this dilemma. Three percent position that became I, a 20. You know, I'm taking calls from my institutional investors. Well, wait, well, hold on a second. You got 20 percent exposure to Bitcoin. Okay, but I had a 4% exposure that grew to 20%. So what do you want me to do? In the immortal words of uh, Warren Buffett, he said, geez, you know, I'm not going to shoot Michael Jordan or trade Michael Jordan for four scrubs and then call that diversification. You know, Bitcoin has some amazing fundamental things going on right now. The wallets are scaling. There's only about 18-ish million Bitcoins. Several million coins were lost uh, in its early inception days. There's a million or so out there that has to be mined. Um, you know, J.P. Morgan, Todd, says that there's 49 million millionaires. There's probably 18 million Bitcoins. We don't even have enough Bitcoins. Uh, every Simon says that, that Bitcoin's worthless, so we, we don't agree yeah. with him. Yeah, well, well, well. You see, but you see, this is the thing, and I have an enormous amount of respect for Jamie Dimon. Me too. And, and I and I'll stipulate here in front of everybody that he's way smarter than me, and he's got great experience. He did a wonderful job navigating that bank through the pandemic, um, and um, but here's what I would say: he's either frustrated by it because it's an assault on that beautifully moated company, that castle that he's sitting in, um, or he's not doing enough homework. I can tell you this, Todd, people that do the homework, that would include Ray Dalio. That would include Stan Druckenmiller, Paul Tudor Jones, Steve Steve Cohen, Dan Loeb, anybody that's done the homework and put the time in, they end up owning some Bitcoin. I don't know if you had the same experience as I did, but yeah, I was on the, I was on a private board of the biggest THC cannabis company in the United States. And I got thrown off the Fidelity platform. And I bet when you were doing like Internet 1.0, right. kind of similar thing happened to you. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm having the problem right now. You know, I, I have a lot of uh, retail clients that are affiliated with some of these very large uh, financial institutions. And they're vexed because they... They don't want to be made stupid. You know, you make decisions sometimes in life not to get fired as opposed to creating value. You know, I like to tell people I'm an entrepreneur. I'm about creating jobs, not preserving my own. You know, but there are bureaucrats out there that are into preserving their own job. And so one of the ways you preserve your own job is not to look stupid. Imagine if I buy Bitcoin at 60000 and it goes to 10000 and then there's guys like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger saying, see, I told you so. Uh, there's a lot of people in the institutional community cannot deal with that potentiality. And so a result of which they'll stay away from it. You know, 
I got to tell one more story. I'm sure we're probably running out of time, but I got to tell this story. We got, we got about three minutes. All right, so this will be a two-minute story, then we can wrap up. I'm at the Sun Valley Conference, Sun Valley, Idaho, Allen & Company Conference. There's a guy by the name of Jeff Bezos making a presentation. This is 23 years ago. Uh, he's a contemporary of mine. He's probably 34. I think the company just came public. And he's laying out the case for it. He's saying, you know, we're not an internet bookseller. I just sold books so I can get used to the logistics. You know, they're easy. You know, this is going to be an everything store. I'm going to sell everything and I'm scaling. But the bad news is I'm going to lose money for 10 years. But I'm creating this Medcalf's Law network effect. And we're going to become the retail network, if you will, uh, uh, for the Internet. And so then Mr. Buffett came on right after him and gave a speech. I said, yeah, yeah, that's great. And Jeff seems like a very nice young man, but I'm not buying a share. Okay. And let me tell you why I'm not buying a share. This thing has a market cap larger than Sears Roebuck, which at that time was one of the largest retailers in the U.S. And, you know, it has no earnings. So forget it. I'm not buying any of it. And I'll just point out to everybody, of course, I didn't buy any of it because I was listening to Mr. Buffett. And I'll just point out to everybody that a $10,000 investment in Jeff's IPO of Amazon is now worth $22 million today. Uh, now, you would have been subjected to eight periods of time where you lost at least 50% of your money, one period of time where it went down 85%. Uh, but last time I checked, Jeff is shooting himself into space in his own rocket, Todd. Okay, he's bringing capital is the same thing about Bitcoin, right? I mean, it's the yeah, same so thing. That, I, I missed Amazon. I've told my clients, you want to miss Bitcoin? Fine. I am not missing the biggest technological advancement in money in the last 5,000 years. You want to miss it and you want to blah, blah, blah and, you know, fuddy-duddy and, you know, talk like you have uh, chronic back pain. That's fine. I am not missing it. And I just wanted to get that out there before our time elapsed. Right, but Anthony, but we're counting on guys like you to actually create vehicles so that the institutions can actually you know, invest in this stuff without you know worrying about spot price of Bitcoin or spot price of Ethereum or Tether or stablecoin, whatever. I mean, the, the panel before us was talking about you know how stablecoin works. It, 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 you know, stablecoin is, is um, I mean, sorry, excuse me, it's for fucking pussies. You know, I mean. It's it, that that's not a that is a vehicle to trade. It's not a vehicle to invest. And guys like you need to lead the charge. And and, well, and listen, give, I'm, give I'm certainly trying. Need. I mean, I I you know I would tell people you can buy CRPT, which is the sky the first trust Skybridge Digital Innovation Fund. Uh, we priced it at eighteen ninety. It's up about thirty percent since the pricing. Direct result of the appreciation of Bitcoin. Uh, you can buy it uh, on the New York Stock Exchange CRPT. Uh, it's a proxy effectively for Bitcoin if you look at the regression analysis. I'm hoping that we'll eventually have ETFs that are approved. Um, I'm not in love with the futures ETF, so we never filed for one. But we do have a cash ETF that we file. I'll keep my fingers crossed and leave it up to the regulators to make that decision. Um, but, yeah, we're in the process of building product. And we're in the process of proselytizing what is happening because I think it's important to let our clients know. And here's the thing, Todd. I want clients to at least understand it enough 
where it lights an intellectual curiosity, a fire rumbles inside them where they got to get to know it. And then if they decide after they've learned about it that they hate it or they don't want to be involved with it, that's fine. But I don't want to. They double their money. It's fine. Yeah, I don't want them to. We're we're getting we're getting killed here. Um, Thank you, bro. Apparently, my language is uh, not great. And uh, (laughs) but you're the one that's supposed to be the. the I'm I'm supposed to be the profane one, but uh, (laughs) you know, I'm 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 on my best. I'm 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 on my best behavior in situations. And and you're and you're very well dressed, and I love it. Uh, Thank you very much for uh, spending this time with me. And hopefully, people uh, learned something. If they didn't, then it's my fault and not yours. But thank All you right, very much. I, I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you. See you, buddy. Bye-bye.